Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays Russian, oh, no, not Russian roulette, film roulette. We do not. Oh, play. no. It's getting dark in here wait, real fast. Wait, Chris, is this a new segment? I didn't agree it to is. this. It is. Very dark. Oh, my God. Wow. Um, okay. So film roulette, very important distinction there is what we play on this podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, uh, joined by May Finch. Hey, y'all. And Will Rotondi. What up? Hey, how's everyone uh, doing? Hopefully not playing Russian roulette. Boy, I can't believe this. Good, good for now. Uh, maybe not by the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're stepping our game up, apparently, uh, for the final segment uh, <laughs> this week. Oh, man. So, the most dangerous um, game. Yes, indeed. Um, everyone have a good weekend. Pretty chill. Yeah pretty chill i like chill uh went and saw top gun maverick this week which i told you in our little private uh chat that i really enjoyed uh, i just i'm gobsmacked by how much i enjoyed it uh, I, I was really i'm like you know what like i'm gonna be cynical and just see if i can be as cynical as possible how do i feel about this movie i'm gonna do my best to take off the blinders and I, within 10 minutes i was just like all right this movie's gonna fucking kick ass i can already tell so and, uh, it kind of like beat the sequel syndrome that a lot of films have. <laughs> yeah, I you know I think you could make the argument that it's a superior movie, like for sure. Like it just it wow it you know like it takes that eighties machismo um and and like kind of chucks it out of the window, but still keeps that like sort of like military hotshot vibe thing. Like it it feels like it grew up a little bit, and there's tons of nostalgia for people that you know uh, grew up on the original, but. Even Marianne, who uh, didn't see the original until a couple of years ago, was like, I fucking love that. That was so great. Like, it's like, oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, but uh, I, I highly recommend seeing it in a theater too. The special effects, like the sound design, and so much of it practical, by the way, is just earth shattering. It's really, really cool. Like, really cool. So that's that's my recommendation uh, for the week for anyone that's on the fence. Like, go see it in a theater if you're comfortable. I just wanted to echo that because all I've heard is just great stuff. And when I saw the trailer in the theater and it made the whole room shake, I thought, you know what? Yes. And they look like planes. Like they didn't look, you know, like hokey CGI. And I thought, all right, yes, I will go check this out, even if it's terrible. And apparently it, it's it's amazing. So <laughs> even more reason to go and see it. Just say I have to ask, does Tom Cruise still look the same age? um i mean he's he's clearly aged like you know but like gracefully he's got some good genes working for him um you know i'll tell you aged in any single franchise he's been in he's starting to show his age a little bit i I, the trailer for the most recent mission impossible i definitely felt like uh i was like oh i can see some wrinkles on your forehead i mean it happens to everybody like not judging here but um yeah i mean he shows his age a little bit like and i don't mean that in a bad way like but he's he's played age appropriate which is good like i I don't want to like spoil too much about plot points but i'm glad that put it this way they didn't have him like going after like some 25 year old you know like as part of like the love (laughs) interests like jennifer connelly and they they have great chemistry together and like like the whole thing is really awesome she also has aged like fine wine she is a beautiful beautiful woman so pretty um and i'll tell you speaking of like people getting older boy howdy miles teller what a fucking handsome lad he is dude like uh i i saw marianne kind of fanning herself a little bit during the uh, little beach beach football scene like he he is like really like bulked up for it and i was like shit like 
Miles <laughs> Teller, like, really? Okay, like, go on now. Like, uh, really, really um, impressive, like, physical transformation for him. And he pulls it off really, really well. The last thing I saw Miles Teller in was when they did the, like, Divergent Insurgent movies. And he was just, like, the shithead kid that no one liked. Oh. Yeah, like, I had to reconcile for about... 10 minutes like the the you know little uh, band kid from whiplash right like i think that's yeah. like what i always think of when i think of miles teller and uh yeah like he's very believable um in his role i won't say too much more about the movie just go see it uh it'll, it'll be a repeat watch in the theater for me for sure my only regret that there wasn't a bigger crowd like it was a decent sized crowd because it was a matinee but i was like ah, i should have gone in the evening i bet you people would have lost their minds at some of this but yeah so very quickly for our opening segment, before we get to our side quest, uh, we just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the absolute pop culture firestorm that was June of 1982. Uh, so celebrating their 40th anniversary uh, in June, uh, well, I guess, which is this month, uh, is the following films. Uh, the Thing uh, by, you know, the John Carpenter remake, First Blood, Tootsie, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Blade Runner, 48 Hours, E.T., The Extraterrestrial, and Poltergeist. Like, wow, what a June. Can you imagine <laughs> being like, like the right age, like back when all this was dropping? Like, what a, you were feasting. <laughs> Do you, does anybody have a favorite on, uh, on this list? Like, it's pretty, Wrath pretty of hard. Khan. To- obviously oh, <laughs> it's absolutely good like hands down yeah <laughs> it's pretty good man i mean ricardo maltabon quoting moby dick and like in a you know space battle with uh james t kirk is pretty awesome uh for sure but the ear thing fucked me up as a kid man those little ear bugs like yeah oh yeah yeah no way ears and eyes yes ears and eyes uh noses for me like also like i i got really desensitized with covid being a thing but i uh <laughs> i man like flu tests like i'm like i would tell them like you're gonna have to hold me down because like uh uh-uh, like i can't like it just it's a you know a visceral reaction that i'm about to have when you put that thing in my nose oh, um for me i'd say like probably my favorite on the list is the thing and i'm kind of pissed off at myself for not knowing that it was going to be the 40th anniversary naturally it's coming back to cinemas and i just watched it like a month ago and i'm probably still gonna go see it anyway because i love that movie um gonna do a little group outing it sounds like both of you wrath of khan the thing all right well uh, you know (laughs) second place isn't too bad (laughs) (laughs) i would put blade runner pretty high up there yes Yes, Which definitely. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. That would have been a theatrical version. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Although I think uh, strike say, that like, from the record. <laughs> we could say hindsight, you know, counts like for anything that's come out. Yeah, Blade Runner is definitely I up on the list to me. It's just, it's a hard thing to um, kind of pick and choose from. Certainly, like um, so. Yeah, just great uh, 40th anniversary um, list, really. So uh, let's go ahead and draw a side quest, shall we? Let's not try to fling the deck off this time. That will help. <laughs> I couldn't believe. I just kept throw that it, in Chris. the edit, by the way. It was like, Good. throw it, get angry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ooh, it is an immersive experience. If you had to live the rest of your life as a character in a movie you've seen, who would you pick and why? 
I'm going to go with Star Trek on this one, I think. Um, nice. Not Wrath of Khan, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would love to be Diana Troy, just oh, to be yeah. kind of like the esteemed counselor on a space cruiser. You're not generally in any physical danger, but you get to see all the cool stuff and talk with people and you get all the good ship gossip. It sounds like a pretty ideal lifestyle. Um, you do have to rein in your chaotic mother from time to time, but uh, <laughs> you know it seems like a pretty good life, and it, it feels like in Star Trek they kind of dealt with all the like war and chaos and poverty and stuff on Earth, and it just it seems like a much nicer place to to be in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, a that world is a great choice, and b like that. I love that choice. Like she, she's got an important job, like. They see and go through some shit, you know, even though it's uh it's more on the idyllic like spectrum of of sci-fi. Like they, yeah. they run into it's some things from time space to time. Utopia, basically. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, the ship's counselor is uh, it's an important job. I, I love that character too. She's just amazing. Have you both seen Next Generation? Absolutely. Yeah, I am such a big Star Trek nerd. I um I think I've watched pretty much every almost everything series wise that's out there with the exception of like a couple but yeah no I could totally get behind that and you're right I mean for the most part next generation was always like I mean they 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 made it a little bit as the series went on it got a little bit darker and they touched on some other stuff yeah I know yeah once once Picard got assimilated man it was like okay we're we're taking the gloves off everybody's at risk here and I mean what a fantastic two-parter when we're talking about like cliffhangers for tv series back then but um, yeah, no, I uh, I could definitely, I would much rather live in the 24th century right now <laughs> compared to <laughs> some of the other stuff that's going on. Like, okay, they've all, they figured all of this stuff out and now it's just dealing with the same sort of stuff with other cultures that are going through that versus like, you know, all the doom and gloom that we hear about every day. So it would be nice. Yeah, no money kind of concerns. Cool they, yeah, no money concerns. I like the idea of having a, kind of like exploratory and like mediator role, you know, in the universe rather than like going out and conquering <laughs> planets. Yep. Uh, also like a very personal reason is um, I have a lot of dietary constraints and if I could just put everything I need into a replicator and just get anything gluten-free, like, oh my God. That'd be amazing. Change my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't have any like food sensitivities, but my, my stomach is not like the most cooperative at times. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, <laughs> easy on the stomach, uh, chicken wings for, for those of us with GERD, you know, like it'd be oh, awesome. No. Yeah. <laughs> all, all the, uh, Earl Grey I could want. <laughs> oh man. Hot though. And you, you just know? go down to like the sick bay and get like a little, like, you know, a little quick injection, like a and you're done and you're fixed or I'll have like whatever you need replicated to, to, you know, broken limb. We got that couple of seconds, you know, it's great. I feel like the main downside is just the possibility of having some big timeline splitting event or getting <laughs> lost in a black hole or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> or one of the weird random like creatures that they like run into. It seems like that's a big danger, especially in the, the original series. Like, there's always some like weird thing trying to suck the salt out of your body or something like that. Like, so. Um, yeah, but you know, ship's counselor, I feel like you have a relatively safe job. I don't think she usually went on away missions, right? 
yeah kind of 50 50 um, on that i feel like yeah. <laughs> yeah i was gonna say sometimes they needed somebody that could like because she was sensitive right to people's feelings she's a right. beta something that is there you go yep yeah. um i i i appreciate star trek i'm just i'm not as big of a i will admittedly like i'm a casual fan of uh, but i've seen the original series and uh the next generation and most of the films but yeah Nice. Yep. But I think that's where she served her purpose, if I recall. Usually it was like they wanted to know, like, hey, like, so how are they feeling? And she'd be like, Oh, there, there's a lot of mistrust, or there's some kind of devious like thing lurking beneath the surface, which comes in handy, like knowing that stuff, right? Like and it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting that they built that role in because I think a thing that can often lead to issues internationally is just like having cultural differences and communication differences and you know, a culture where they tend to communicate very bluntly could have huge issues where everything has kind of double meaning to it in another culture. Um, so it's, it's cool that they inserted a character that could actually kind of suss out how everyone's actually feeling. Mm-hmm. I think I was just really impressed that they understood the importance of having uh, some sort of counseling service that was readily available to anybody. Like if you needed it, just go. There was no question. It was like, this is an like this is an essential part of us all working well together is we need to talk about our feelings and we need to work through it rather than try and bottle stuff up or compartmentalize. And so I think I really appreciated how that was sort of a big step back in the day where you know, going to see a therapist when, you know, when Next Gen came out, that idea was sort of made to off to be like a joke a lot of the time as a punchline and other sort of pop culture stuff like, oh, you're seeing a shrink, you know, back in the day versus now it's like, no, that's actually really helpful to a lot of people. So. Yeah. I'm just, I, I just finished our flag means death. So I'm just thinking about, we work it through as a crew. <laughs> nice. <laughs> awesome same idea definitely thanks for uh for sharing i think that's an excellent pick i'm i'm on board well let's get into today's main quest which uh as a reminder for uh, those of you who may not have tuned in last week uh or maybe who did just want a refresher so we'll be talking about the prestige and our prompt was who's the real villain so i kind of was uh having a difficult time trying to come up with a way to uh to talk about this um obviously like uh want to kind of keep it to the two principal characters uh well really three principal characters um as we'll get into i'm sure uh and you know i thought like why not just a uh good old-fashioned pros and cons <laughs> <laughs> list to start things off so we could talk about redeeming qualities and maybe like uh some of the less desirable qualities for uh, each of the characters. And I'm going to allow you to like, really like when we all come down uh, and make our final decision at the end, um, you can decide one person over the other, both people, like however you want to do it, like it's going to be your own individual judging criteria ultimately. But I I did think it'd be kind of fun to like do a pros and cons column (laughs) for these characters, because as I was telling you in our our little uh, messenger chat, I was having a hard time. Like I, I, my feelings really kind of shifted all throughout that. This was only my second time seeing this film. And I was just like, man, um, I'm empathetic to this person. And now, nope, like, I don't like what you're doing there. And, and it just kind of goes all over the place. So I'm very excited to talk about this. Um, so who do we want to start with? The great Danton? Or would we like to uh, go the other route with the twins? 
feel like maybe we should do a quick like summary first, just in case anyone sure. hasn't like seen the film in a long time. Yes. Uh, um, I'm trying to if you like, want to do that, Chris. Yeah, I, I I will go ahead and uh, I'm trying to think like how much detail I should give. So essentially, the film unfolds over um, I don't know, well, roughly what like a decade or so. It starts in the 1890s and ends maybe just at, like into the 1900s. Where I was a little about bit that. fuzzy. I think times. the little girl at the end looked like she was about seven or eight. So yeah. So we'll say roughly, roughly a decade. And it tells the story of uh, two magicians who start off as collaborators working side by side. Um, Hugh Jackman and uh, Christian Bale play the two uh, magicians. Uh, Hugh Jackman is Robert the Great Danton Angier. Uh, Christian Bale is Alfred Borden. Uh, and also, as we learn later in the film, uh, also uh, has a brother who I don't know that we ever get the name, but there's an alias that they use, uh, Bernard Fallon, um, that kind of stands in to assist with some tricks. Anywho, so uh, at the beginning of the film, Hugh Jackman's wife uh, is a knots expert who is part of a trick where uh, they drop her into a water chamber and she gets out of uh, ropes and emerges uh, safe and sound. And uh, what essentially happens is Christian Bale um, ties a, a knot that is not the one they agreed on because he feels like it's the better knot for the trick because it's more safe as she's suspended, even though it's less safe uh, with her in the tank, results in uh, Hugh Jackman's wife's uh, death. Her name is... Julia, I think. Julia, yep, it is. So this leads to a decade-long rivalry between the two men um, that sort of starts as like a bit of like revenge, just kind of straight-up revenge of uh, Angier going after Borden and um, quickly kind of turns into a competition for the most impressive trick, most asses in the seats, etc. Uh, this ultimately leads uh, Hugh Jackman to uh, the uh, home of Nikola Tesla, who uh, he asked to design a machine for him so that he can uh, hopefully outdo Borden's uh, transported man trick, which is essentially an illusion where Borden is able to go into one door, come out of another instantaneously, giving kind of the, the uh, I guess, illusion of like teleportation, for lack of a better word. And if you uh, haven't seen it, listeners, uh, Tesla is played by none other than David Bowie. David Bowie, yes. Wonderful. Uh, with a nice honorable mention to uh, Andy Serkis, who plays his assistant. I love him so much. Nice little New York accent. God, I miss New York, you know? <laughs> That's great. Um, so anyway, um, what you discover over the course of the film is that uh, the machine that Tesla builds for Hugh Jackman is actually a machine that creates a perfect clone. Presumably, we can talk about this a little bit. This is where I got a bit fuzzy, um, but with perfect like memories and, and experiences intact as they're cloned, right? That seems to be how it goes down. And uh, I should say that the, the film is sort of framed around a trial for murder where, in which Christian Bale's character, Borden, um, is being accused of having killed Hugh Jackman's Angier. What's revealed through the course of the film is that this cloning machine, essentially nightly when uh, this trick is done, uh, leads to the death of the person being cloned. They're dropped into a tank, drowned, and hidden away so as to not reveal that that is in fact how they're doing the trick. Um, ultimately leads to the hanging of Christian Bale's character. 
Um, and it is revealed that the, the, uh, his transported man trick was accomplished by the use of a twin who shared, uh, basically, uh, double life, I guess, for lack of a better word. So, uh, him and his twin, um, took turns being both Borden and, uh, his, uh, assistant, uh, Fallon and uh, including, I guess, uh, we'll again, get into, um, uh, being involved with each other's like loved ones and everything. I mean, it was a complete and total um, sharing of lives as it were. So the film ends with Borden being hung and the revelation that he has a twin out there. The twin confronts uh, Angier, uh, shoots him and walks away as a building is burning and you see all of the drowned clones in the tanks. Uh, of course, the great um, kind of bookend speech by Michael Caine says that like the best magicians, like it, the, making something disappear isn't as important as making it reappear. And it's revealed, you know, that that Fallon, who I guess is like the real Borden, it's not really like the real Borden, but the father of the child takes the child away to safety. And uh, Michael Caine uh, has a look of sort of redemption on his face as we cut to credits. So that's my very, very poor explanation of the prestige. It's a lot of ins and outs. The structure of this movie is so wild. So, um, but that's essentially the plot of the film. I don't know how you could have done any better. Are we going to start with Angier or do you want to start with the, tr- the twins, Borden slash Fallon? I say Angier. Angier. Okay. So um, let's go, let's go to the pros column. <laughs> We're going to do a pros and cons. Let's start in the pros column with, uh, with Angier. And uh, I think this will just help us kind of like ultimately weigh in on both of the characters. And it really is the only way I could think of that would be like fair, so to speak, because I think each of them have redeeming qualities and do both of them do some truly awful shit. So first off, clearly a devoted wife guy Uh (laughs) at the start anyway. Um, (laughs) I thought I I, I noticed a new detail this time. This was like my fourth rewatch. And I didn't realize the only time he didn't kiss his wife's leg was the night that she died. And Ooh, that was just yeah, like a little heartbreaking either. detail I just noticed this time. Um, but anyway, yes, he is a good showman. So he has that going for him. <laughs> I think you can tell I don't like him very much. So yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that's more than I had going for like pros already. So like, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a talented showman. Um, he, I think, this isn't necessarily a pro, but I think you can sympathize with him for the first part of the movie. And when he first attacks Borden, doesn't justify it, but it, it is very clearly still about his wife. And I think it's that yeah. slow transition into it becoming clear that it's not about his wife and he's starting just to use her as kind of an excuse to continue hounding and pursuing Borden that you kind of lose that sympathy. Um, yeah, I was going to say he's her- justified. He's righteous. In the, I think the first like, you know, I don't know, like act of the film. Like I, I was totally on his side. I'm like, dude, I'd be mega pissed off if somebody like out of uh, arrogance or whatever, like, you know, and especially there's the discussion, which makes it all the more like heartbreaking. I'm sure is that like, they, they talked about it, like don't do it again. But yeah, I think he's, he's righteous at least in, at, at the start. So yeah, but I, I don't have that many pros for and Andrew. Um, <laughs> I do like the scenes with, with him and Tesla a lot, but um, it's kind of clear Tesla wants him to kind of, you know, sign his own life away. He doesn't, he's not comfortable giving into it until Andrew makes it clear that he will stop at nothing because he knows it's probably going to end in a lot of dead people. 
in this case, a lot of dead and jeers. <laughs> yeah. So um, as a quick aside, uh, I didn't realize the first time I watched the film that like he's like, it's essentially him committing suicide. Like every time he gets into that machine, I, I don't know why I thought it was like, oh, he's having like the clone get into the machine and like that's the real him on the balcony it's like no like he's the one that gets into the machine and dies like presumably right or is it kind of ambiguous like what did you guys read on that i felt like it was he never really knew which well i guess well <laughs> they talk about it you could talk i mean it does like, it, yeah it's sort of the question of what what do you define as you know is is the real him because even tesla makes the comment about the hats that get replicated the first indication that you know they're all his you know they are essentially the same thing it's just a copy of that or the cat that gets copied um so in some ways it is always him and it's not him i think there's, I that was there's a lot of media that deals with that question right um i'm blanking on the name but there's a video game that is kind of built around that premise and then of course you have the star trek question again with the transporters Transporter. right uh, yes yeah it's, it's a very thing. similar deal your your entire like person is basically copied transported and then reprinted <laughs> yeah. um and the version of you that was there presumably is just killed so it becomes a philosophical question of really what is consciousness and what creates a continuous consciousness and like I think everyone's going to have a different answer to that, which is part of why it was left open-ended to me. Personally, I think every single copy had his consciousness essentially. And then, you know, yeah. each would go forward and make different memories, but yeah, he just kept replicating himself and also killing himself, which is so dark. It is so, yeah. I was really bothered by the, like the second time around. Cause I was less focused on like what's going on here. Like I had remembered all the big twists so really focusing in on what was being done, you know, um, on both both sides of the spectrum, because we'll go to board in here in a bit. But like, I just I was so disturbed, like so much more disturbed than I was the first time watching this film, having all the information. I, you know, I think that he's um, prior to, to, to kind of crossing the line, like his devotion to his craft is pretty impressive. Like he's somebody that seems like, you know, he wants to be the best and has a general or a genuine admiration for how some of his competitors do the things like they show the fishbowl bit where he's walking between his legs. He's like to do this night after night and out in public. So to, to, like, I can't even imagine like he's got some genuine, genuine admiration there. Um, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I can't think of much else uh, for that character. Uh, what about the cons? I mean, this is going to be a much easier list to, <laughs> to fill out well i guess to push back on your last pro a little bit chris uh i feel <laughs> like he leans on cutter a lot for his tricks um sure and is i mean they, they say this explicitly in the film but he's definitely the weaker magician compared to borden but i think oh. that's mostly just because like it doesn't seem like he gets his own tricks at all and borden calls him out for that too he tends just to copy people um or just you know, take whatever Cutter is offering him, basically. Um, so there's there's that. Uh, obviously, the fact that he's a man, you know, consumed by greed and ambition, uh, like many of the men in the films we've been watching recently. Yeah. <laughs> Although there will be blood. Um, this could have been called There Will Be Water Tanks or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, you could have called this There Will Be Blood. Like, if yeah. 
it's <laughs> a year before there will be blood came out 2006 so um so yeah those are cons uh obviously the way he treats olivia is pretty shitty um the whole thing with like i find his dynamic with cutter very interesting because initially it seems like you know cutter is very much depending on his relationship with angiers especially after the wife dies in order to actually you know be able to stay in his line of work when he realizes like years and years later years is still obsessed with borden i think he does try to distance himself a little bit i i feel like cutter is kind of an interesting reflection of angiers because i think he knows him the best and i think looking at when cutter starts to get scared is a good indicator of when angiers is is, is lost <laughs> Yeah. Do you think that he spares him the knowledge of what he's doing? Like to actually, he puts it forth as something that he's doing out of almost like the kindness of his heart. I try to keep you in the dark about, uh, yeah, I don't think I didn't buy it either. Like this time around, like, I was like, no, I just, I think you were so terrified of somebody discovering what you were doing and knew that maybe he would try to stop you or something. Right. I think it's that. And also he needed a credible witness to the death right so making sure cutter was around but not aware until that final night meant that then i think his testimony at least the way the film portrays it was kind of the the clincher in terms of getting the conviction of warden yeah i mean let's let's not uh forget uh child kidnapping essentially uh you know framing for for murder um the kind of the lengths that he goes uh that scene is quite chilling um you know, just the, the haunted look in Christian Bale's eyes when he's trying to get somebody to as attention to be like, that's the fucking guy. He's got my kid. And it's the first time you really see him, I think, fully break and is just desperate, right? There's no confidence. There's no nothing but just desperation. Um, what a terrible thing to do to somebody who's like condemned to death. Like, I'm taking your child. Bye bye. And it's such a level. It's, it's, in Angier's eyes, or at least the way he rationalizes it, is that it's kind of a life for a life um, with losing his wife. But that was ultimately an accident. Borden was being arrogant, but it was an accident. And Angier's like framing of Borden and kidnapping of the child is a month long, like detailed, premeditated plan. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's assumed an alternate identity, right? Uh, to do it, he's framed him for for murder. Um, yeah, the, like it, it's uh, it's interesting because like I remember when I was watching it recently, you know, the uh, this week, um, I forgotten that the wife, um, Christian Bale's uh, Borden's wife, um, hangs herself. Like I was like, why, why isn't she with her mom? Because they don't reveal that detail until quite a ways in unless I missed like some mention of it but um I think that scene where you actually see her go into the workshop and 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 actually you know um hang herself was the the first reveal that she's gone that's why I have heard theories she was actually killed by one of the twins like the one that wasn't in love with her uh because she had been planning to go talk to Olivia like that day or the next day Hmm. and reveal the secret and it does kind of make sense like obviously it's hard to know the the mindset of someone who is suicidal but the idea that she finally realized that you know he's two different people I feel like that would if 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 anything be horrifying but also be like okay well I can do something about this it's not just that I'm trapped in loveless marriage right um 
So I think that's an interesting theory. I don't know if you guys ever thought about the fact that she might've been murdered, not. Um... Not till now, but there's a lot of things I think that you could like the way that that's cut. Number one, um, I think leaves it ambiguous enough, but the apology from Borden to Fallon, who was actually like, you know, Fallon, like that, who's Fallon at that moment, it, that it was his wife. You know, I'm sorry about uh, what's her name? Mary, Mary, is that her name? Uh, Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry about Sarah. And then the fact that she's by the birds, which they over and over kind of show as like a sacrificial, like, you know, symbol um, for the art of, of uh, the craft, you know, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it was uh, kind of, so maybe another tangential aside, the thing that I caught this time around that I thought was really creepy was that there's a scene before um, Sarah presumably hangs herself where their daughter has her hair done up and it looks like she has two nooses on the sides oh the way that her hair is braided and i didn't notice that until this go around i was like oh shit like that's (laughs) that's dark and i know it's coming you know so that was some like yeah like really random and like the second go around really like I don't know, off-putting uh, foreshadowing that went on there. I actually had to take that back. I think I remember Christian Bale's character getting hung, but I didn't remember his wife committing suicide. So then when I saw both of those, I thought, oh, you know, so then there's like the two versus just the one. But yeah, that to me, I just thought that was really interesting, like the little things that you catch going back. Um, but I guess we're still on the... Uh... <laughs> Are we still on the cons list or where are we yeah, at now? I mean, yeah, <laughs> it, it, you put forth either. If, you, if, if you've thought of other redeeming qualities, I'll fucking, I'll hear them out. But uh, but no, yeah, if you want to continue to talk about Angier and what mm. shitty person he is, I'm, I'm all for that too. <laughs> you know, I remember, so the first time that I watched this film, I remember kind of rooting for him at the beginning, like understanding, ju- like justifying why he was like as vindictive as he was. But the second time around, I, I you know, watching it again, I just feel like his his ability to just immediately want to go and just shoot the guy. I thought, nah, I mean, yeah, I, I could understand that, but I probably would have gone a different route to try and get the justice that you want. His idea of just immediately wanting to grab a gun and go shoot somebody was a little too, uh, that that to me was like the big red flag, the, the con, or I guess the big con about like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if I would, I wouldn't trust him. <laughs> so, Borden's execution's a good proxy murder. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, setting him up. Yeah, definitely not not being the one to to basically um, push him off the ledge, but essentially bring him to it's it. Conspiracy yeah. to commit murder, right? Like, as I mean, that's yeah. that would be the modern equivalent. Like, you've yeah. premeditated it, you've collaborated with others, and you've you've sort of orchestrated somebody's death, like. Yeah. interestingly it's an example of him despite having gone down this dark path of not wanting to get his hands dirty still well he sucks at it <laughs> like uh, actually <laughs> trying to kill somebody so like <laughs> he probably made the right decision there because like he's not not very good um at pulling the trigger you know metaphorically um yeah he treats um olivia like like uh total dog shit too like oh yeah feel quite bad bad for her um kind of the revelation of what he's willing to to do and like ask her to do and he doesn't seem at all bothered by it it's like the ends totally justify the means for him and um i think she uh is very justified in what what she does (laughs) you know in reaction to that we're like all right like no like i'm not gonna 
do that like for you. I'm in fact, like I'm going to go work somewhere that presumably might pay me better money and somebody's going to treat me nicer and love me and actually be decent. Although she thinks she's in, a, in an affair, uh, interestingly enough, she doesn't ever know, right? Like that's the that whole thing is like, she has somebody who loves her. That's not committed to somebody. Well, half the time anyway, I guess. So yeah, I was gonna say I felt like there was definitely some affair action going on because how much it's sort of like how much did they flip flop you know between what they're doing and where the where they are one person and where they're not and that to me I still get confused trying to understand like like who was who at what point and if you'd ever really be able to know but yeah except for the scenes where he's interacting with Sarah and she makes the comment about oh you love me today I can tell you know and so you're like okay so I know who that is but you know beyond that point it's yeah it just gets really convoluted about just how much they immersed each other well how much immersion in between both lives they were living yeah let's talk about the twins for a bit i think like it's good that's a good segue because yeah like ah man i was having such difficulty wrapping my head around like the why but like i I know what their justification is but it seems like there's got to be easier way to to protect your secret right then all that like there's something yeah. else going on can we agree like there's something else yeah. going on there yeah exactly. i just there's really no reason for them to switch continuously like if they both did want to have more independent lives like one of them could have stayed as palin or even a different get up most of the time and then they could have just been dressed the same for the magic act i think the the strongest reason that the movie presents is just that neither of them wanted to be the man that disappears, right? They both mm. wanted chances in the limelight. But I still feel like they could have had more independent lives off stage. <laughs> yes. I mean, secret wife swapping without the wives knowing, it seems like a big no-no. Like, I don't know. <laughs> well, let's, yeah. let's go to the pro column first and we can talk about it. I feel like that's firmly (laughs) Um, maybe you guys disagree we'll have to have it out if you do but um let's talk about the pros for for Borden we'll get there um I think he's a good dad you know like and I mean well they they like really like both seem to be genuinely like affectionate towards um the child which is like especially the one that's not the biological father that's quite nice Um, I don't think they know which one is yeah, I guess that's a good point. Oh, God. All right, we got to stay away from that. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, okay, we'll stick to the be nice to the child for now. <laughs> uh, generally, yeah, I don't know. They still, they would get into screaming matches with her mom, with her in the room, which seems like not great. But they just, I would say of like Borden's capacity to show love and be like, human with people he's like the best with his daughter so there is that yes and i think it says a lot that he was willing to sacrifice uh his secrets for her at the end yes yep rips up the or uh angiers rips up the the prestige um Mm -hmm. that he reveals is finally willing to give it away he was also willing to try and help angier too at the very end when he thought he was drowning in the tank and he went yeah like he actually tried to save him so yep he yells for help too like makes a good good effort of it um 
you know, by I, I think like the fact that both of them have the capacity to, to love, like we're, you know, at least led to believe that they have the woman that like they truly love. Um, not that Angier doesn't necessarily like you, you see like a bit of that with his wife, but like after that, certainly he doesn't seem to love anybody or anything really other than success and, you know, um, feeling like he's the superior magician. Borden never tries to uh, shoot anybody that I can recall. Till the end. <laughs> yeah, uh, there is. Technically, that, he but... he nicks Michael Caine, I guess, like in the arm, right? But that justified he's being fucking. Yeah, trying to escape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, oh, that's call another that shitty thing Andrew did. I forgot about the the burying alive. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah, because he was covered up in sand, right? Or like, yeah, he could have died yeah. very easily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think another pro for Borden, or at least why I like him a bit more as the character, I think, is that he he seems to take genuine delight in the the magic that he does. Um, and it feels like, of course, he wants the like crowd to love him and everything, but it seems more of a dedication to how seriously he's taking the craft and how good he can be and less about the fame. Uh, whereas with Angiers, he can't understand that. And he's like, but you wanted the fame, right? Like you did the faces. I think that's his like, like last dying comment is trying to understand why Borden did all this. Um, and I feel like I respect, you know, pursuing a craft for in order to perfect it more than just, you know, pursuing fame. Yeah, didn't care. Like, I mean, there, there's even, I think, some discussion of uh, more uh, certainly on like Borden side of things of like, let's just like, let it be like, let bygones be bygones. We just, we need to move on and do our own thing. And I don't think I really ever got the impression that Angier was wanting to do that. Cutter tried to talk like, hey, he thinks we're even like, let's just like do that. But Angier has no interest. And I, I think the fact that Borden's willing to walk away a couple of times is probably a good check mark um in the the pro column for me as well i'd agree and also just the fact his pranks are funnier generally <laughs> like breaking the... his leg <laughs> okay they're all violent okay Most not hijinks. saying that's good <laughs> but ironically it's there's more of a flair with borden's like with the like coming out on stage and tying up the double <laughs> oh yeah true. Yeah, in between yeah. giving a man a limp and crushing a woman's fingers in a cage. You know? <laughs> yeah, they're still oh, yeah. violent, but. <laughs> yep, I think that's uh, that's a good point too. Like, you know, we can can you have a little darker sense of humor <laughs> when it comes to, <laughs> to, to the jokes. All right, so let's. Does uh, anybody have anything to add to the pros column before we get to the to the cons? No. All right. To me, like the the biggest thing is like the betrayal of like the. The women in their lives is pretty awful um yeah. like it's i mean could make a very i think compelling argument that uh it's non-consensual you know sex like even just on a base level uh and then there's the emotional kind of battery too um especially once uh sarah discovers the the truth like that would fuck you up like big time right like that's a horrible terrible thing to do to somebody that's and it's like like it's an overused term, but that's gaslighting in the strongest way possible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Absolutely. 
and uh, yes, we kind of started to talk about, I just, I don't understand. Like, I, I just, I think that there's something deeper at play like in their psychology um, because I just, I can't for the life of me think of like a really good, good reason to like in their personal lives, maintain like the, the back and forth, like the flip floppy, like, I just don't get it. I'm willing to listen if anybody can come up with a reason, but it's just like, why go that far with it? He's, he like puts it forth were... as like a sacrifice, but I don't, I'm like, no, I don't, what are you sacrificing? You don't need, it seems like completely useless and uh, um, unnecessary is the word that kept coming up in my mind. It's like, this is unnecessary. I think Nolan reason. wanted a wife swap. <laughs> <laughs> All about the directors. <laughs> he, he's, he's workshopping some stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, yeah, it was like yeah. he and his brother wrote the screenplay, right? So, what? oh man, maybe, yeah. oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you know, it would make a really good idea. <laughs> I don't know, you know, if they're married, but I just imagine them at like the premieres and they're both of their wives just like <laughs> glaring. <out>. So. <laughs> Or like why like, the brothers were both okay with it. Like both of them seemed so much because they seem like the same person. It's like, how did they both just make that decision together to be okay with doing that? So just kind of off of what you said. I was just gonna say, it's clear that they do have disagreements too. Like over Sarah mostly, but Olivia as well. It just seems like they're not as in tune as, as they're supposed to be. Um, and like that would cause more rifts issues than it does i don't know I, this the, the whole thing like it grossed me out so much like because uh, i'm the first time you're watching it you don't understand like what's going on and you can kind of think back on it but seeing it unfold and being like like just you and why <laughs> it's just the two, two uh words that kept coming out of my mouth like over and over but um, like is it a twin connection thing like is it just like one of those like is it like a bonding thing for them do you think like again they say that it's part of their craft but i just i'm like there's got to be something else at play here right like they're into it i don't, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> you'd have to i mean you'd have to be like i i just like i just don't buy that like you're um like and and maybe not just like the sexual aspects like i know like we're we're joking about that like over and over like but like i i think maybe it is like kind of like an identity like maybe it's kind of like to get off like being somebody else and living a double life like you know that might be an appealing thing um for for each of them to to be somebody else i know the diary was a plant but um when Andrew is reading Borden's diary, uh, he talks about like, you know, cr craving the stability of home life while also trying to be free of it. And I, I think it's supposed to hint at the fact that they're two different people, but I also think probably each of the brothers felt that contradiction to an extent. And so it was yeah. freeing being able to not be, you know, husband and father for, for half of your life. And then also having the opportunity to be husband and father for half of your life yeah go have a night out with the boys like and you don't even have to you know hear about it just like oh god <laughs> hey bro um i need to blow off some steam for a couple of days you got me cool <laughs> like i don't know yeah that's i mean that that's probably you're, you're probably not far from the mark honestly like i think that's would be the appealing side of it for, certainly I, yeah i think that the kind of like commitment to the craft thing similarly to how Angier justifies all of his actions by the death of his wife like I think it's just kind of their 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 cop out like 
this is a good enough reason, right? <laughs> yeah, maiming your twin brother, like, just because you got your fingers shot off seems incredibly fucked up thing to ask somebody, like, a physical, you know, uh, deformity for the rest of their life that they have to, just because it happened to you, you know? The, the fact that it seemed like the brother that wasn't in love with Sarah also just really didn't even try with her was especially heart heartbreaking because it's like you're gonna if you're gonna mess up this terribly and do such an awful thing to someone the least you could do is commit and like you're supposed to be a magician right great illusions and he just didn't put in any effort the whole thing is shitty but just like that the fact that he caused the extra emotional and mental turmoil for her by not even being that convincing of a double (laughs) yeah yeah, it's, I think it's very, um, it's kind of awesome that she can see through that. I love the idea that she has this power of perception, you know, um, or maybe it's just the emotional bond is so strong with the one that the other, like, could pick up on that. I suppose, like, if you're with somebody long enough, like, you probably would know, right? There'd be subtle behavioral changes and things like that that you'd probably pick up on subconsciously if nothing else it's a little satisfying when olivia sees that and is like you know what i was fine with the affair but that is a step too far (laughs) 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 understandably like again very justified Uh, yeah Uh, um yeah i mean another thing with borden i think is just he seems a lot more childlike and immature i would say compared to angier um, and I think with a lot of the stuff he does, it's it's very impulsive. Whereas Andrew like plots out for years what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and Borden obviously has a much lower body count at the end of the movie. <laughs> um, yeah. But it it feels like more of a kind of just in ingrained characteristic for him to place his own wants and needs and uh impulses above everyone else's like safety and happiness which is a pretty fundamental character flaw yeah no he's definitely a very selfish person just the fact that you know uh he has to even think about whether or not he's going to give up his secrets when his daughter's you know potentially going to be elsewhere obviously when the threat's made real and he he realizes like who she's going to end up with but I think like the fact that she's in a workhouse in and of itself is not enough to to make him do it. That's pretty shitty. Yeah. I did have uh, it's not necessarily a pro or a con, I guess, but it was just an interesting thought that he I thought it was interesting that Borden is there's a scene where he takes his own chain that he's in when he's you know in prison and swaps it out on the guard who's basically taunting him. And I thought it was interesting how he's able to do that sleight of hand work on that one guy in the middle of the prison yard, but he can't figure out a way to escape or get around getting hung. And whether that was just him resigning himself to that fate and thinking that his brother was basically going to carry on their legacy, or if there was something else going on there, or if that was just for the sake of the plot. Uh, If we follow May's uh, murder theory, perhaps it's guilt right if he's mm, presumably yeah. killed uh sarah then maybe he feels like he deserves to die not because of um you know uh, angier but uh because of you know, his brother's wife who he loved so yeah i think even if he didn't kill the wife he knows that he's the reason that you know she went into a mental spiral um mm. and also 
he is the one that just basically ruined the other brother's chance at happiness and a fulfilling life and you know got himself arrested because he kept you know pursuing Angier even when the other brother was like nope we're just we're gonna let it go now (laughs) so I guess we can chalk that up potentially to self-sacrifice as a pro for Gordon maybe <laughs> trying to redeem himself slightly i don't know <laughs> i uh i feel like the better thing for him to do in that scenario would have been to escape get his kid and like sail to america or something like clearly yeah, in this day and time it's easy just to change your name and put on a fake beard and you're a different person yeah oh that was killing me i was like god man he is very clearly uh hugh jackman <laughs> like yeah <laughs> As we're kind of rounding out the hour here, that brings us to uh, to the question: um, Who is the real <laughs> villain? Well, I jokingly put in our, our chat that it was Tesla, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I do think it's interesting that he's supposed to be this very scientific, neutral character, but is also very clearly won over by a large amount of money <laughs> to do basically anything you ask him to. He's not the villain, but like co-villain maybe <laughs> yeah he's certainly an enabler right like a nefarious yeah. enabler um, yeah well, that's a fun thing to say nefarious enabler uh he, yeah for sure i mean like he he knows the ramifications of the machine like if you're gonna ask somebody to fucking destroy like why build it in the first place right yeah um, it's just kind it's of weird. him verbally being like all right you sign the terms and conditions it's your problem yeah. now <laughs> yeah side effects may include yeah yeah um because like i think this film does have a lot of enablers like cutter definitely at different times pushes both of the men to Mm. get their hands dirty whatever that means and i think both of them look up to him as having been in the industry a lot longer and he definitely has kind of a position of power when he's coaching them to to do you know more dangerous and violent things yeah like i like how that motherfucker nails a dude up and like in a coffin buries him alive and then <laughs> like after it's like uh i don't want to go any further than that like oh that's cool <laughs> <laughs> like, that's fine it's fine but like i'm not going to america like to get a, a machine from tesla even though i have no idea what it's gonna do mm-hmm. or you know like or kidnapping i draw the line at kidnapping <laughs> Yeah. Unless also, burying the brother happened like without him knowing, possibly. I'm not he sure. He was nailing the coffin. Show. I, there's, and he said, it saves me from having to make you an air hole, like when he shoots through the coffin. Like he knows. <laughs> he knows. Yeah. I also, I uh, wonder when he found out about the the twins, because it's clear at the end that he, he knows, right? When he turns uh, Borden's daughter back over to the living brother. I'm going to throw out a hot take and say that he knew for most of the movie and like didn't want to betray like like kind of like magician's code like the secret of the trick and like knew that he had a twin brother and it was just like oh it's a double it was like his way of kind of answering the question without like fully answering the question but i've really no evidence to support that just part of me likes to believe that he kind of knew all along and just like hoped that uh angier would leave it alone i mean that's that's kind of my take too anyway that's all my roundabout way of saying that i do think angier is the ultimate villain <laughs> But I do think he has a lot of pressures and enablers on him that kind of make it hard for him to change course very well. Uh, Cutter and Tesla, namely. Um, 
when I think of villains, I do think of someone who's premeditated something. It's not just an impulsive decision. Uh, I think of someone who has a lot of power. He has a ton of wealth from his like noble title um, and has a lot more connections than Borden does. Borden seems to be coming from a relatively lower class background, right? The fact that he seems to reject his own humanity towards the end with repeatedly copying and killing himself. It's like a very disturbing graphic portrayal of like no longer seeing yourself as, as human or kind of like limited by the laws of humanity. Um, so Andrew is clearly the villain in my book. Borden is a terrible human, but I don't think he is as much of a almost supervillain level uh, as Andrew. Yeah, it's almost like uh, Mephistopheles-esque. Like he kind of makes a deal with the devil, right? And the, the devil happens to be science, you know, uh, in, in this case, like really like what, it, what that machine allows him to do. But as you said, he is willing to just completely shed any remaining humanity in order to, to come out on top, right? That being said, I think if Borden had the like unlimited resources of Angier, he definitely could have turned out the same way. Um, well, I, I, I'm going to go last, so I'm going to go to you next. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I got to say Angier, man, uh, absolutely. Just the fact that he almost kills Borden that first time, even though that was more just reactionary at the time, I still think if you really want justice, uh, and we you can argue about where you might think that justice is going to come from, trying to be like a vigilante is probably not going to end well most of the time especially Unless when it's against superhero. batman you know exactly yeah, like... i was gonna say yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that uh that for me i thought yeah that's pretty much that killing multiple versions of himself for the sake of just covering up his his act you know justifying that as a as a reason for doing all this showmanship just the very nature of his showmanship wanting to be the center of attention wanting to be the you know the most important guy in the room wanting to you know have it all be about him regardless of the cost you know stealing this guy is basically ransacking borden's um uh his um office space just to justify having stolen his diary which as we all learned about later was a trick by borden anyway but like trying to steal his his secrets trying to steal his um uh the tricks that he does just basically doing whatever he can to screw that guy over and anybody else is collateral around him i i just thought yeah there's no there's no redeeming quality about you i you're just a, basically a really big tragedy of a character and i can't i there's no redemption for you so he is definitely hands down for me the the bigger villain of the two uh, for me, the real villain is magic. No. <laughs> <laughs> Get a trust um, in science. <laughs> science is the villain too. I mean, you know, yeah. who, who can trust science, right? When there's plenty of YouTube out there to uh, to give you what you need. <laughs> oh, but science um, didn't give these men guns. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Just a transporter machine. If you have to come down on like one of them, but really like... Kind of sitting um, outside this morning and uh, enjoying my my morning coffee. It's just like really both of these guys are villains. But the prompt is who's the real villain? And if I have to pick one of them, it's got to be Angier. I think that he is classically tragic um, in that like you you get sort of that you know origin story. Like you get a, sort of a thing that puts him down on the path that that 
death of his wife is the catalyst and then from there on like there are really like no meaningful human connections in his life other than the ones that further his you know stature or bring him closer to whatever his goal is like people are just another set of tools basically um the the use of the machine but really like the, the again the kidnapping the child and, and sort of gloating at the end like that's what really i'm like you yeah, there is no semblance of a, a good guy left in there um you could have won any number of ways like just the doing the act would have been victory enough for what he claims to want right which is to be just like the to have the, the better like illusion and he can't even stop there once he's once he's won you know he's always got to kind of one up himself um so yeah i agree with both of you he is the real villain although i say that the borden twins are also villains in my book i don't think that they're uh even remotely like nice or redeeming i wouldn't call them heroes i'll put it that way way. or even anti-heroes i think they're equally shitty just less shitty on on a, a grander scale i guess but i would agree it's also like we we get this like maybe 10 year window into their lives like they they could have screwed over a lot of women like before the suspense oh, of the movie started. I highly doubt that uh, ScarJo <laughs> was the first mistress that they, uh, yeah. they shared. And again, like, oh God, it's just like, yeah. So this is a little bit of a twist on the usual budgetary question. Uh, so true or false, The Prestige had the lowest budget of any Nolan film after 2002. I think when Memento came out, because I feel like that one had a small budget. So Memento, like two, I feel like Memento was like 99 or 2000. So I'm going to say false. I think Memento had a smaller budget. Okay. What about you? Well, lowest budget of any post 2002 Nolan films. So anything after 02 that he did, smallest budget. I'm going to go with true. All right. Will is correct. Oh, post 2002, not pre 2000. I'm a dumb dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I would have said Are you the trying same to change your answer after the fact? No, <laughs> no. I just like, listen, we've established that my brain's not firing on all cylinders for whatever reason. So, yeah. It's post fine. So, yeah, the prestige. Can you guess what the budget of the prestige was? Bonus round? Redemption? Oh. That's all you, baby. <laughs> Given given the cast and everything, uh, I'm gonna say 35 million. Close, 40 million. Oh, okay. nice. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah, so give that man a that. point. No, no, it's okay. 2002 is when Insomnia came out, and that was 46 million. So he actually went down in budget slightly. But I think after that, every single film he's made has gotten more and more expensive, pretty much. Yeah, I completely I forgot that he did that one too. That's what yeah, that's Pacino called the Pacino effect. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say that's why the budget for that was more expensive, probably. Like, yeah. lie. All right. Well, now let's transition to a quick game for a palate cleanser. So it's gonna be another round of over and under, or over under, I should say. And this is a Rotten Tomatoes edition. So Ooh. here is what I want you to do. I'm going to give you two films. You tell me which one you think has the higher Rotten Tomato score, or you can risk it for the biscuit if you think they are tied and you guess correctly. You can say tie. I will give you double points if you're correct in the event of a tie. Is this um, the critics or is this the audience? Critics. Yeah, not audience. Strictly critics. (laughs) Critics score. So 
in the spirit of today's episode, your first one is uh, the Battle of the Nolan films. I want you to tell me, uh, did The Prestige or Dunkirk have the higher score? So The Prestige or Dunkirk? I'm going to say Dunkirk. I'm going to say Prestige. All right. It is Dunkirk at 92 versus oh. Prestige at 76. Oh, so I thought it would be closer. Point for yeah. me. Me too. Good guess. Next up, or that guess. Good, uh, good selection. I knew I that. I memorized. I was gonna say I should not. Uh, I shouldn't assume any guess. Yeah. <laughs> so next up, it is the battle of the Pixar films. So, Up or Toy Story three? <laughs> Which one had the higher score? And again, you can for any of these, you can say they're tied. Is that a hint? No, just a reminder. <laughs> well, we went over the, right. the rules once. It's an act. Of, it's yeah. It's misdirection on the part of the magician over here. Uh, I'm gonna say up. Okay. I want it to be up because I feel like it. Just generally knowing both, I feel like it's the sadder of the two. But yeah, I'm gonna go with up. They are actually tied at 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ah, uh, yeah, bastard. <laughs> I didn't say it was wrong. I just said it's not, it wasn't intended as a hint. It was a re- reiteration of the rules. I don't like fake ads, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you, the choice is all yours. Your fate is he in uses your hands. a double. It's a double. They're not brothers. I never said brothers. It's a double. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next up. It's the Battle of the Star Wars. So we have... Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope versus Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, Episode Five. Yeah, Empire. By one point, you're both correct. Whoa, so that's a point each. I thought for some reason I thought the first Star Wars had like significantly lower critical acclaim just because it was so new and weird. Uh, this is so Rotten Tomatoes takes into account any like reviews that come in from certified critics. So uh, okay. I am certain that there are probably people that have reviewed that film as odd as it sounds like semi recently. So, hmm. all right. So it's sort of like a dynamic overall score from whenever it's whatever today is, is on there. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. So next film is the uh, battle of the screwball Christmas comedies. We have Home Alone, the original, versus Christmas Vacation. <laughs> Home Alone? <laughs> oh, man. This is, what a great choice. Um, yeah, I want it to be Home Alone. Is that your guess? That is my guess. <laughs> they are tied at 67%. What? And I will have okay. you know when I picked these, I had no idea that any of these were going to be ties. I came up with a tie rule after the fact. So, nice. so 67% Rotten Tomatoes apiece. Dang. Next up, we have Reese Witherspoon rom-coms. So tell me, yes. Legally Blonde or Sweet Home Alabama, what is the higher rated film? I'm going to go with Legally Blonde. I am too. You're both correct. Legally Blonde sitting at a 71 versus Sweet Home Alabama's 39 on Rotten Tomatoes. Next up, it's the Battle of the Mockumentaries. We have this is Spinal Tap versus What We Do in the Shadows, the film, not the TV series, but the film. (laughs) 
I'm going to say what we do in the shadows. Yeah, I would. Uh, oh, I feel like there's a trick in here. But no, I'm going to go with what we do in the shadows. You're both correct. Again, winning out by just one point at 90, 96 versus this is Spinal Taps 95%. Mm-hmm. Nice job. You guys are killing it. All right. Next up, we have indie horror debut films with The Witch. So the Dave Eggers film, The Witch versus Hereditary, Ari Aster's debut. I have no idea on this one, so I'll just say whichever one Will doesn't. Nice. I'm going to go with Hereditary. (laughs) (laughs) So The Witch for, for May. May gets the point. Again, hey, one point separating. You're welcome. I had no idea the <laughs> we're gonna be, but, but yes, sorry, eight, no, no, eighty-nine for hereditary, ninety for the witch. I, I really didn't know that these scores, some of them, were gonna be so close. I just yeah. like, picked the movies and then went in and filled it out. So, all right, we have a couple more. So, the next one is uh, Battle of the All-Time Classics. So, Casablanca versus Citizen Kane. Ooh. Oh shit! <laughs> I'm gonna say Casablanca. Mm. So if I say tie and I'm wrong, do I just don't? I don't get anything. Is that basically no penalty? It? No penalty. No penalty. Yeah. No... I'm gonna be. I know it's not gonna be right, but I just want to do it anyway. I'm gonna say it's a tie. You're correct. Oh, shut Two up. points for Will. So <laughs> at 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, Casablanca, Citizen Kang amongst the highest rated films. Uh, notable that Citizen Kane knocked down a peg, but from a recent review that took it down from 199. Some some asshole like went on there. Bastard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wow. Much to the annoyance of the internet. Um, I tell you what, that was an interesting couple of weeks in some of the comment sections of some uh, film pages I follow on Facebook. Or is it well right. going to come back and hurt you, buddy? Don't yeah. Do it. It's going to be like Uncle Seth, except yeah. like more uh, malevolent. Yeah, from the grave. <laughs> you want to talk about, I was going to say like the greatest showman. You better watch out. And he might, yeah. <laughs> so penultimate uh, pairing of films. It is the Battle of Stu- Studio Ghibli, uh, beloved classic. So we have okay. Spirited Away versus Princess Mononoke. Hopefully I'm saying that right. I'm going to go with Spirited Away. I'm going to go with Tide. <laughs> All right. Will gets the point. It is Thanks. Spirited Thanks. Away at Aww. 97 points versus Princess Mononoke at 93. So they are Is close. that the one with the cute little dust mites? Is that Spirited, Spirited Away? Away? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Finally, uh, to bookend this episode with something else in the spirit of discussion, we have Top Gun, the original, versus Top Gun, Maverick. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Come on. Now, if I'm assuming from everybody's, like, recount of how awesome this sequel is, I'm going to have to go with Maverick already. Like, I feel like critically people have loved it. So Wait, hold on. What's your score? This is the last question, right? Oh, yeah. I should probably do a score update. So let me tally up really quick. <laughs> Chris is like, okay. May has five matter. points. Will has six. I can do a tiebreaker if, we, if, if need be. But... 
Oh, hell yeah. I, I have to say different lately than Will then. Um, I'm yep. going to go with the original Top Gun. I'm going to go Will... with Rick. Will is the winner. It is Top Gun Maverick at 97% currently on Rotten Tomatoes wow. versus Top Gun at 57%. Certified Rotten. <laughs> it or not, which surprised me. I would have guessed like 75%. Yeah, no, for real. 57, yeah. Like an action classic. I feel Body like it's just... 90 for that, but... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, May. No, I was just gonna say, like, I feel like it's an audience favorite, not a not a critic favorite. Yeah, which hey, like that those tend to be the movies that persist. And I think probably the bulk of people that like myself, uh, that like Top Gun can probably admit that it has like some shortcomings. It's just one of those movies you don't care because you're like, yeah, it is it is what it is, it knows what it is. Like, I don't need you know, Sorkin di- dialogue, like, you know, like tight scripts, like <laughs> something like that. I'm, I'm cool with the, I, I need, I feel the need for speed and all the other goofy <laughs> little one-liners. So, oh, yeah. all right, let's draw our next main quest and skedaddle. Um, while I'm shuffling these cards, do either of you have any hopes on like what you want to see? Is anybody itching for a particular, like not film, but like one of our categories? I want to do another camper cringe. Camper cringe, <laughs> yeah, those are always fun. All right, here we go. Let me draw it. It is a deja vu. And it is numero uno, Equilibrium by Mr. Rotondi. So <laughs> yes. it is a will pick and it is Equilibrium. Oh my Amazing. God. Amazing. We so were just talking scared. about this like back and forth on Messenger, I feel like. Yes. Um, you summoned so, this okay. card. <laughs> we're, about it. it's the bailathon we're it is the bailathon oh my god you're right. Bale. right yes <laughs> with a cameo s- from sean bean <laughs> that's right <laughs> i fucking forgot he's in this uh, oh uh, yes this movie, and i haven't Tay seen Diggs. this since college yeah. so uh have you seen this before may nope i can time. some can sum this up for you in one um buzzword that was associated with it gun foo yes gun foo <laughs> So oh, there so you good. go. There's Amazing. a little tease of what's to come. <laughs> oh my god! Wait. So just to remind everybody, Deja Vu is uh, basically choose a film that pays homage to another film or genre and whether or not that homage is successful. So that's our, I know it's been a while since we've had one of these. So I'm very excited <laughs> to see this. I haven't seen this in many years. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next week <laughs> with a discussion around equilibrium. For now, you can find us on social media at ScreenQuestPod Pod uh, on Twitter. Uh, please interact with us. We love those Friday film polls. And uh, let us know who you think is the, uh, the real villain of the prestige. Uh, is it magic? Is it Michael Caine? Uh, is it David Bowie? Um, is it uh, the great Danton's hats? Like that's probably the answer that we should have <laughs> arrived at. Anyway, we love you. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.